Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Old Testament. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll be using for the text the Joseph Smith translation of the Old Testament, along with many commentaries from general authorities of the Church, BYU professors, Bible scholars, and others. This format will be very detailed, and so if you want a deep analysis of the Old Testament, you come to the right place. Thanks for your attendance. Hi, and welcome back to the Old Testament podcast. This will be for Exodus chapter 32. I'll start reading. Verse 1, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we know not what has what has become of him. While Moses was on the mountain receiving commands about the building of the sanctuary, part of which included asking the people to make a contribution of precious metals for the building of the portable shrine, Aaron was asking for a contribution of precious metals to build the calf. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons. No, even boys boys had earrings, huh? And of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be the gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. What more natural than for those who waited week after week in unexplained solitude within sight of this of this fire to imagine that Moses had been devoured by it? Their leader was gone, and the visible symbol of Jehovah was high up in the mountaintop like a devouring fire. They must have another leader, that would be Aaron, but they must also have another symbol of the divine presence. One only occurred to their carnal minds besides that which had hitherto preceded them. It was the Egyptian Apis who, under the form of a calf, represented the powers of nature. To his worship, they had always been accustomed. Indeed, its principal seat was the immediate neighborhood of the district in Egypt, where for centuries they and their fathers had been settled. Probably this also was the form under which many of them had in former times tried, in a perverted manner, to serve their ancestral god, combining the traditions of the patriarchs with the corruptions around them. It is quite evident that Israel did not mean to forsake Jehovah, but only to serve him under the symbols or the symbol of Apis. This appears from the statement of the people themselves on seeing the golden calf, This is thy God, and from the proclamation of Aaron, Tomorrow is a feast to Jehovah. That was by Edersheim. Verse 5, And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Their great sin consisted in not realizing the presence of an unseen God, while the fears of their unbelief led them back to their former idolatrous practices, unmindful that this involved a breach of the second of those commandments so lately proclaimed in their hearing, and of the whole covenant which had so solemnly been ratified. Some expositors have sought to extenuate the guilt of Aaron by supposing that, in asking for their golden ornaments to make the calf, he had hoped to enlist their vanity and covetousness, and so to turn them from their sinful purpose. The text, however, affords no warrant for this hypothesis. It is true that Aaron was, at the time, not yet in the priesthood, and also that his proclamation of a feast to Jehovah may have been intended to bring it out distinctly that the name of Jehovah was still, as before, acknowledged by Israel, but his culpable weakness, to say the least of it, only adds to his share in the people's sin. Indeed, this appears from Aaron's later confession in Moses, or to Moses, that than which nothing more humiliating, humiliating, humiliating is recorded, even throughout this sad story. 
Perhaps, however, it was well that before his appointment to the priesthood, Aaron and all after him should have had this evidence of natural unfitness and unworthiness, that so it might appear more clearly that the character of all was typical, and in no way connected with the worthiness of Aaron or of his house. And that was again by Edersheim. Verse 6, And they rose up early on the, on the morrow, and offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat, and to drink, and rose up to play. It is intended, or it is evident that Aaron intended that the true God should be the object of their worship, though he permitted and even encouraged them to offer this worship through an idolatrous medium, the molten calf. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which thou brought, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn away thy fierce wrath, thy people will repent of this evil. Therefore come thou not out against them. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by, thy own, by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. While Israel indulged in the camp, in the, in the usual licentious dances and orgies which accompanied such heathen festi festivals, yet another trial awaited Moses. It had been God himself who informed Moses of the quick apostasy of his people, accompanying the announcement by these words, Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. One of the fathers has already noticed that the divine words, Now therefore let me alone, seem to imply a call to Moses to exercise his office as intercessor for his people. Moreover, it has also been remarked that the offer to make of Moses a nation even greater than Israel was, in a sense, a real temptation, or rather a trial of Moses' singleness of purpose and faithfulness to his mission. We know how entirely Moses stood this trial and how earnestly perseveringly and successfully he pleaded for Israel with the Lord. But one point has not been sufficiently noticed by commentators. One in announcing the apostasy of Israel, God spake of them not as his own, but as Moses' people, thy people whom thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt. He at the same time furnished Moses with the right plea in his intercession, and also indicated the need of that severe punishment which was afterwards executed, lest Moses might by weak indulgence be involved in complicity with Israel's sin. The latter point is easily understood. As for the other, we see how Moses, in his intercession, pleaded the argument with which God had furnished him. Most earnestly did he insist that Israel was God's people, since their deliverance from Egypt had been wholly God-wrought. Three special arguments did he use with God, and these three may to all time serve as models in our pleading for forgiveness and restoration after weakness and, and falls. 
These arguments are, first, that Israel was God's property and that his past dealings had proved this. Secondly, that God's own glory was involved in the deliverance of Israel in the face of the enemy. And thirdly, that God's gracious promises were pledged for their salvation. And such pleas God never refuses to accept. But although informed of the state of matters in the camp of Israel, Moses could have been scarcely prepared for the sight which presented itself, when on suddenly turning an eminence, the riotous multitude in its licentious merriment appeared full in view. The contrast was too great, and as Moses' wrath waxed hot, he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. It is not necessary to suppose that what follows in the sacred text is related in the strict order of time. Um, so remember here that Moses is acting as a mediator between God and man, just as the Savior is acting as mediator between God and us. Verse 14, And the Lord said unto Moses, If they repent of the evil which they have done, I will spare them, and turn away my fierce wrath. But behold, thou shalt execute judgment upon all that will not repent of this evil this day. Therefore see, do, see thou do this thing that I have commanded thee, or I will execute all that, I, all that, that which I had thought to do unto my people. Notice that he's now again called his uh, Moses' people that they are now my people. Verse 15, and Moses turned, now that was mostly from the Joseph Smith translation that I just read in verse 14, which changes a lot of that verse. Verse 15, and Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both, on both their sides, on the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. Remember, Edersheim believed that the, the first four commandments were on one table, and the, and the last six were on the other table. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout or a call for courage, for mastery. Neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. When Moses broke the tables, this was to show that the people had broken their covenants. The higher law was taken from them. The next set of tables would not contain the fullness of the gospel, but a lesser law which they would covenant to keep. The first tablet and instructions received by Moses contained the temple ordinances and the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood, which the people were not willing to accept. Verse 20, And he took the calf which, had, which they made, and burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder, and strawed it, or strewed it upon the water, and made the children of Israel drink of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee, that thou hast brought such, so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people, that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods that, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we know not what is become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it me, that I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, or riotous, or let loose, for Aaron had made them naked. The Hebrew word here used may mean either bare or uncovered, or unruly, or broken loose. The expression can also mean exposed in guilt before God's wrath. Continuing verse 25, unto their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. Notice that it's the sons of Levi 
And remember that Moses is also of, a, of the tribe of Levi. So Levi comes unto Moses to do this thing. And it's remember that it's going to be them that hold the priesthood ever after among Israel. Verse 27, And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of the Lord, and there fell of the, of the people that day about three thousand men. There is one point here which requires more peculiar inquiry than it has yet received. And I'm quoting again from Alfred Edersheim. As commonly understood, the slaughter of these 3,000 stands out as an unexplained fact. Why just these 3,000? Did they fall simply because they happened to stand by nearest on the principle, as has been suggested, or decimating an offending host? And why did no one come to their aid? Such indiscriminate punishment seems scarcely in accordance with the divine dealings. But the text, as it appears to us, furnishes hints for the right explanation. When Moses stood in the camp of Israel and made proclamation for those who were on Jehovah's side, we read that he saw that the people were naked or unreigned or licentious. In short, there stood before him a number of men fresh from their orgies in a state of licentious attire, whom even his appearance and words had not yet sobered into quietness, shame, and repentance. These, as we understand it, still thronged the open roadway of the camp, which so lately had resounded with their voices. These were met by the avenging Levites, as, sword in hand, they passed from gate to gate, like the destroying angel through Egypt on the paschal night, and these were the three thousand which fell on that day. While the vast multitude had retired to the quietness of their tents in tardy repentance and fear, in view of him whose presence among them betokened the nearness of that holy and jealous God, whose terrible judgments they had so much cause to dread. So you can see that it wasn't just a random number of people that they killed or random people that they killed. It was those that were still reveling in their wickedness, it appears. Verse 29, For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord, peradventure, or perhaps I shall make an atonement for you. Moses is the meat for your sin, he said. Moses is the mediator between God and the people. Some have wondered why Aaron, who played a key role in the Golden Calf episode, came out with no condemnation. Though he did not record it in Exodus, Moses later indicated that Aaron also was nearly destroyed and was saved only through Moses' intercession in his behalf. And that's in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 20. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my out of my book. Therefore now go lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they worshiped the calf which Aaron made. I bear testimony that these scriptures are true, and we have a good lesson here to learn about uh, not worshiping other gods, and sometimes we, we tend to do that in that we worship our work, our employment, our hobbies, uh, other things that are not, uh, are not Heavenly Father. I bear testimony that we need to put right things in priority and say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.